0: Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. It's Jordi. And
1: today I'm going to be sharing my thoughts on one of my favorite books of this year, and that is Wayward by Amelia Hart. This is a fiction novel with some life fantasy in it, and we follow three generations of wayward women. The first woman we are introduced to is Kate, and her story is set during 2019 as she is finding the courage and strength to flee her abusive partner. Kate leaves London for this dilapidated wayward cottage that she has inherited from her estranged great-aunt Violet, and soon she discovers that this new home harbors generations worth of secrets. We then begin to uncover more about Violet, whose story is set during World War II. Violet yearns to receive an education and to go out exploring, but her father does not believe that she is meeting either societal expectations or his own, so he essentially locks her up in a room. However, Violet begins to discover that there's more to their estate than meets the eye, and she uncovers more truths about her mother's sudden death and mysterious past. Lastly, we follow Alpha, whose story is set, during the early 1600s as she is awaiting trial since she has been accused of being a witch. And the reason I enjoyed this book so much is because it showed how our past, going back generations, is connected to who we are today and it highlighted female resiliency. I feel myself gravitating more toward books that include stories of witches because it sheds light on the same theme that generations of women have had to fight against since the beginning of time, And that's the idea that sometimes our mere existence and the fact that we could heal and nurture and think for ourselves outside of the framework of the patriarchy is such a threat that people have had to label women in history as something to look down upon. And that thing, at least in this book, to look down upon has been labeled a witch. And this fits perfectly with one of my favorite quotes from the book, which reads, Witch. The word slithers from the mouth like a serpent, drips from the tongue as thick and black as tar. We never thought of ourselves as witches, my mother and I, for this is a word invented by men. A word that brings power to those who speak it, not those it describes. A word that builds gallows and pyres, turns breathing women into corpses. Like I said, this book follows multiple timelines and points of view, and it's relatively short, so it was extremely bingeable for me. Plus, the cover is absolutely stunning, and I'm a sucker for a good cover. So if you haven't already,
0: I highly recommend picking up this book. And with that, happy reading, friends. At Feminist Book Club, one of our favorite genres of nonfiction is learning the stories of the women behind famous or powerful men. So I am thrilled to share a brand new book with you. Parachute Women, Marianne Faithful, Marsha Hunt, Bianca Jagger, Anita Pallenberg, and the Women Behind the Rolling Stones by Elizabeth Winder. These four women worked tirelessly behind the scenes to help shape and curate the image of the Rolling Stones. This book is a beautiful, comprehensive group portrait of four women who were marginalized by the male-dominated rock world of the late 60s and early 70s, finally giving the women the credit they deserve for the impact on one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Even if you're not a Rolling Stones fan, You'll be blown away by the audacity of these women, and you'll love the rock and roll stories Elizabeth Winder shares in these pages. Perfect for readers of Girls Like Us, Parachute Women by Elizabeth Winder is out now from Hachette Books. Thank you for sponsoring today's podcast. Greetings,
2: friends. I'm Mariquita Guerrera, and I am dropping in today to tell you about a book I recently read, When We Were Mothers by Nikki Cadillac. This is Nikki Cadillac's first book, and is a work of speculative fiction in the same vein as Margaret Wood's The Handmaid's Tale. It takes place in a future version of our world where women have had the right to physically carry a pregnancy removed from them. Quick note before I proceed, this book deals with the idea of cis women with one passing mention of trans men, a comment that is elided by and not brought back into the conversation. As always, when discussing books with this narrow scope, I want to clarify that not all women have uteruses, and not all people who have uteruses are women. That's not a CYA thing, that's a factual thing. I didn't feel like it necessarily distract- detracted from this book, but it certainly could have added to it, bringing that topic up a little bit more. But in this future, cis women are, quote, safeguarded, unquote, at birth, safeguarding being a euphemistic term for sterilization. They're given a metered amount of hormones throughout their lives, but they are unable to physically conceive a child. Children instead are gestated in plastic wombs, kind of like plastic bassinets, until they reach full term and then they pop out like fully formed babies. Another editorial here, but if they could just keep them in there until 40 weeks, I think they could keep them in there a little bit longer until they at least develop circadian rhythms around three months, but maybe that's just me being salty. It is illegal in this world to circumvent this method, and every person has an implant that monitors their vitals, hormone levels, location, and etc. Our story opens in the birthing suite of a secret location. Celeste, the best friend of our main character, Lucinda, is preparing for the end of her natural pregnancy. The world building here is vague, which I appreciate, as it draws the reader in to fill in the gaps. Lucinda and her mother, as well as a number of other women, belong to something called the Society, which is an underground movement to provide and protect natural pregnancy. This isn't a spoiler, because the back of the book tells you it's coming, but Celeste dies during childbirth from a placental abruption. The group then quickly sets off to cover up the true cause of Celeste's death and hide the location of the Society. However, Celeste's death sets off a series of events that drives the remainder of the story and forces the society back out into the light. The detective assigned to investigate the case is unwittingly and personally connected to the society, and this forces a personal reckon- reckoning of his own. Everything reaches a devastating climax that causes all the players to reevaluate what they know to be right and wrong. The pacing in this book was pretty consistent, something I appreciate in a work of fiction that nears 400 pages. I felt pretty invested in the characters, except for the character of Celeste. Honestly, I could have used more connection with her before she died. To have her eliminated without getting a better idea of who she was and what she wanted made her more into a concept than a character. A situation which is carried through the rest of the book. Another thing that honestly disrupted my enjoyment of this book is that both of the main characters, Lucinda and the detective Amika Abudo, were people of color, but the author very clearly appears to be white. I'm all about diversifying characters in fiction, absolutely, but this felt a little bit tone-deaf. It would have been better to have the side characters be people of color, fully realized and compelling characters, but this feels like kind of a rookie writer move. Well-intentioned, but definitely better avoided. While I'm on the topic of things that took me out of the story, the author's choice to frequently identify and comment on eye color was peculiar. Maybe this is because I don't honestly ever notice eye color unless it's striking, but this was a common way that characters were described. Everyone has novel colored eyes in the future, maybe. I think with these edits and critically also allowing conversation about trans men and why cis women weren't the sex chosen for sterilization would have vastly improved the story. Overall, I'd say this was a captivating story and timely. It was a fairly quick read and looks at the perspective of reproductive rights from a different angle, not whether or not people will be forced to bring an unwanted pregnancy to term, but instead, whether there will be the option of pregnancy at all, and who is authorized to make permanent decisions about our own bodies. This isn't a new conversation, either. For a long time, a long, long time, the state has made decisions about which people were worthy of pregnancy and which were not, and people are still being sterilized without their knowledge or consent, but it isn't under the guise of personal safety, instead eugenics. Fucking delightful. If you think that's a history problem, I have some bad news for you. I digress. When We Were Mothers by Nikki Cadillac provides a different perspective of the reproductive rights discussion and bodily autonomy at a time when that is really constantly at the forefront of the headlines and real life-changing decisions people are making every day. If you want to read more about that with a shifted lens and you are a speculative fiction fan, you should check it out. Thanks for joining me. It's always a pleasure. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. Until next time, friends, be well. Hi,
3: friends. Sally here. My pronouns are she, her.
2: I'm grateful to have you join
3: me today to chat about audiobooks, one of my favorite things ever on earth. It's still National Audiobook Month, and that got me thinking about great books that are even better as audiobooks, like books that just like to me, this is the way that they were meant to be experienced. Any of these books would make a great entry point for folks who either haven't tried audiobooks yet or who have, but it didn't go super well or just didn't stick. And of course, also for audiobook lovers. And if you've read any of these already, you could try them on audio for an even richer and I think better experience. Dive in. Of course, I have to start with Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's like a mandate. if you somehow don't know what daisy jones and the six is because it's been everywhere lately so i would be shocked but if you don't know what it is it's this story of fictional rock band from the 60s and the book is written in interview form so i think it just works better on audio most a lot of people do i think some i know some people who tried reading it physically and then just like they weren't really vibing with it, and then once they switched to the audiobook, because of how much this audiobook is recommended, then they were like, oh, no, I totally love this. So it, I think it's just meant to be an audiobook. It's a really fun ride, it's super compelling, and it's re-narrated by a full cast, so it's really engaging, too. Next up is Don't Call Us Dead by Dinez Smith, narrated by the author. This is a poetry collection, and I was never... Aegon poetry, like I have such a tough time connecting with it and like reading it. And I'm like, am I understanding this correctly? It just hasn't always been my thing. What I realized lately is that what I do enjoy is listening to the audiobook of a poetry collection read by the poet. And that's what this is. The poems themselves are really, really beautiful. They pack quite a punch. Dennis Smith covers a lot of topics in them. Homophobia, transphobia, racism, and it's definitely worth a read. I'm actually about to start Homie by Dinesh Smith this weekend for a book club that I'm in, and I'm really looking forward to it. Next up is Sleeping Giants by Sylvan Nouvelle, also narrated by a full cast. This book is very challenging to describe, which maybe is why it's like not soup like the most popular. It's a book about a little girl who goes missing and then she's discovered like in a hole on a hand like a massive hand and it's an alien artifact and then so like many teams come together to try to figure out what it is and is an alien and all of that that sounds boring but it's really great and this is meant to be experienced as an audiobook I tried picking up a physical copy actually once but it just wasn't the same it was a fun experience there are a lot of like mixed media books that are fun because they're mixed media that then on audio i think just shine and this is definitely one of them i will say this is the first in a trilogy if you do go through the trilogy and you do not enjoy the third book i am sorry okay a lot of people don't and specifically for the audiobook they made an interesting casting choice for the little girl I do not know why she has a Puerto Rican, New York, like, New Yorican accent. It's very confusing to me. But Sleeping Giants, fantastic. Stellar, one of my favorite books of all time. Next is Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo, and it is narrated by Elizabeth Acevedo and Melania Luisa Marte. I would recommend any of her books, really, on audio, because they are typically novels in verse, and so they read, like, poetry, kind of. They're just a really beautiful listening experience. This one in particular is about two girls who, one of them grows up in DR and the other one grows up in New York. And they have the same father. The father dies and then they discover each other. And it's just a really touching book that I think is made better by the audio experience. It, For me personally, it was such a lovely, like, I don't know, Way to connect to my identity as a Dominican in New York. It's great. Read it. And finally, I have to, have to, have to, have to, like maybe mandated by law. Just kidding. Fuck the police. (laughs) I have to end with Thank You for Listening by Julia Whalen. It is a rom-com about audiobook narrators written by an audiobook narrator who specializes in narrating rom-coms. I have to include it. It is so fun to listen as an audio. It's I vaguely remember the setup here even. I just I know that like she is on a certain like a journey. She's like trying to rediscover herself and accept herself and all of that. The love story itself was really sweet. There's a little bit of like mistaken identity piece kind of going on. Or maybe like secret identity. Not mistaken identity. But I really enjoyed the like, slow burn of this. I I found it so heartwarming. It was so sweet and cute. But yeah, like, specifically, why would you not listen to this as an audiobook? Like, this is what it was made for. It is so, so fun. I mean, obviously, if you like romance, So I love an immersive audiobook experience. If you have any recs at all, please do reach out. As always, you can find my social media handles in the show notes. And remember that Feminist Book Club now offers an audiobook option for your monthly subscription. I'm so excited about it. Be sure to check the show notes for that as well. And happy reading, y'all.
4: Hi, my name is Ashley. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm here to talk about the FIFA Women's World Cup particularly the team, Megan Rapinoe's retirement, the lackluster coverage or support for the LGBTQ plus community, streaming services, and the importance of following players, as well as organizations that will be reporting on the team and the Women's World Cup as a whole. So the Women's World Cup is going to take place in Australia and New Zealand from July 20th through August 20th. Not only is the women's national team looking to win their fifth World Cup, they are also looking to make a three-peat. The captains will be Lindsay Horan and Alex Morgan. Prior to the team leaving for the World Cup, Megan Rapinoe announced her retirement. Having been a college player and a professional player for a number of years, She is looking to make this time to be her last run as a professional soccer player. Megan is not only a prolific soccer player, she is also a well-renowned advocate. She famously said during a World Cup in the locker room that she wasn't going to the fucking White House. And this was at a time when that man was in office. And traditionally, U.S. teams go to the White House after winning a championship to celebrate and to have some some pride in, their, in the team. But she said that she wasn't going. And this caused a back and forth between her and that man. But it also raised her profile as a, a soccer player and for her advocacy that she has done with Black Lives Matter, for social justice issues, for civil rights, and within the LGBTQ plus community. So Megan Rapino, congratulations on your retirement. Thank you for your activism and your advocacy. And we look forward to seeing what you do post uh, your prolific career. So in turn, we just finished Pride Month. And Pride Month was looking quite lackluster with sports organizations and corporations as a whole. Hockey had a number of issues related to whether or not jerseys and arenas could have a prize celebration We also saw that with the Dodgers baseball team and just what exactly does that mean and what that could entail if they move these teams move forward with having LGbtQ plus representation FIFA banned the one love band that athlete that Athletes could have worn during the Women's World Cup, and that was in support of the LGBTQ plus community. It was going to be a rainbow band that they could wear, and it was very telling of the efforts to sort of silence and to keep quiet about the awareness of LGBTQ plus issues. And it was also mostly sparked because of countries that that ban a lot of the appreciations and love of the LGBTQ plus community. So instead they offered eight other options, but it was also just very, very disappointing to see that the LGBTQ plus community wasn't able to be represented in those eight options. It felt like a passive quietness to move away from the, the, Disturbance, if you will, at hand of the one love band being banned. So with that said, that focus of wanting to make sure that the LGBTQ plus community has a global presence with athletes, there's also been a boom in streaming services. Fox and Telemundo are airing the soccer matches. As well as Fubo TV, Peacock TV, Sling TV, and YouTube TV. And this is important to make sure that these soccer matches have a global stage to be aired on. A lot of people have these streaming services. So, to make sure that they are accessible and also they're profitable, we've seen with football and baseball and a bunch of various sports that have moved more to streaming services, for better or for worse, but it provides more options to have the sports seen by viewers. So I thought that that was an interesting way to show more women's sports. There's also been a lot of camaraderie for the good old USA, along with a number of male soccer players who have been cheering on the U.S. Women's National Team. There's been a lot of famous people as well. Natalie Portman and Jennifer Garner, who are both a part of the Angel City Football Club, being brought to Los Angeles. There's also Reese Witherspoon and Gabrielle Union and Taylor Swift, who also made a video or part of a video montage to celebrate the team, bringing the forces of celebrity and stardom with the team to bring them more into a global stage. A couple of players to follow, Alyssa Thompson is quite the soccer player to watch. Rose Lavelle is also returning along with Meg Rampino and Alex Morgan and a number of players. I'm going to link a couple of organizations to follow. And with all of that said, thinking about Making sure that you're watching the soccer matches if you can. I know some people also call it football, but here in the good old USFA, USFA, we call it, we call it soccer. We may have that debate at another time, but anyway, enjoy the matches. Go USA, go get that three Pete. And thank you all for listening to the activism and the advocacy that is important in uplifting women's sports and uplifting the awareness so that we all have an equal playing field to be seen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club.
4: Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature,
3: creature, oh.